If you like what you hear on this episode, you're going to want to come check out my new podcast called the Unfuck Your Brain Podcast. What you're listening to right now, The Lawyer's Stress Solution, has ceased production of new episodes. But Unfuck Your Brain is rocking and rolling. Every week, I release a new episode of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, teaching you the same great tools for taming your brain, but with even more applications to other areas of your life. You can search for it by name. Remember, there's an asterisk instead of the U in unfuck because we like to be polite. Or just click the link to it in the podcast description for this show. I'll see you over there. You're listening to The Lawyer Stress Solution, the only podcast that teaches you cognitive science-based techniques specifically created for lawyers. Learn how to manage your lawyer brain and conquer the stress, anxiety, and overwhelm of lawyer life. Here's your host, former lawyer and certified master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my lawyer friends. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is the way that thinking like a lawyer and talking like a lawyer impact your non-lawyer relationships, or at least I should say your relationships outside of work, many of which will be with other lawyers, right? That old joke, why do lawyers marry other lawyers? Because who else would have them, right? There's a little bit of a kernel of truth in it. So many of you who are lawyers probably date or are married to other lawyers, but also civilians get drawn into the mix sometimes. <laughs> and so what I want to talk to you about today is how to keep an eye on the types of sort of conversation and thinking that you use as a lawyer and the ways that those can impact your personal relationships to a not great outcome right? in, a, in a way that is counterproductive and pretty unpleasant for everyone. Before I get to that, I want to thank all of you who have been listening and leaving reviews. I so appreciate it. And I'm really having fun coaching some of you on the free coaching sessions that I give away for folks who leave iTunes reviews. If you're curious about that, you can go to www.com, the lawyer stress solution backslash iTunes. So I really appreciate the reviews and they've been fun to see come in. All right. So. This is one of my most kind of requested topics, I would say. And um, for those of you who've read my columns on Above the Law, you know, this one, an article about the same topic, how to not treat conversation like a cross-examination, has been shared about 10 times as often as some of my other articles. So I know that it's really hitting a vein for everybody. So in law school, right, we learn to approach any statement as an assertion that we need to interrogate or analyze. And I think, you know, for me and probably a lot of you who also come from lawyer families, this may have been ingrained way before that, right? I grew up, my family are almost all lawyers. <laughs> my mother was a lawyer. My grandmother was a lawyer. My father went to law school but never practiced. And one of my brothers also went to law school, my younger brother. And the rest of the people in my family who weren't lawyers or hadn't been to law school were doctors, which is, you know, similar in some ways. <laughs> so I really grew up thinking that conversation was like a full body contact sport, right? Like you suit up, someone makes a statement, and then you just go at each other till one person is left dazed and bleeding on the floor. That was kind of my idea of how conversation worked growing up. 
And so when I got to law school and I started sort of learning these tools more explicitly for myself, it didn't seem strange to me at all. And I really only noticed that my conversational style was getting even more aggressive when some of my friends from college said to me, you know, you always were a little argumentative, but it's kind of gotten out of control since you went to law school. At the time, of course, I didn't understand what they were talking about because one of the things that happens in law school is they basically teach you to think that lawyers know how to think and that everyone else doesn't, (laughs) right? You sort of get this, you get taught this attitude that kind of other people just don't understand logic, right? Or like aren't analytical enough. And I think that this kind of subconscious disdain is a strong word, but almost this subconscious pity for how other people think who aren't lawyers gets inculcated a little bit. And that really spills over into your conversation, right? So if anyone's ever said to you, you know, stop arguing like a lawyer, right? Or has said that you're aggressive or you're condescending, you know, those are approaches that I think really get instilled in law school and then kind of get calcified during our legal practice. So when I say treating conversation like a cross-examination, what I mean is that when lawyers are having conversations, we tend to treat them as though we're performing analysis on them. So lawyers tend to do things like look for logical inconsistencies, right? Like, well, today you said that you don't think that people should do things other people don't ask them to, but you've also said previously that it's okay to do what you want, right? Like, that's the kind of thing that we'll do. We'll be looking for logical inconsistencies in someone's previous statements. And particularly the previous, you know, lawyers have a memory like a steel trap. And it's not uncommon, I find, for lawyers in conversation to be sort of trying to like impeach the witness (laughs) when the other person they're talking to by referencing stuff from the past, right? So, well, now you're saying that, you know, if I cared about you, I would do this thing you asked me to. But three years ago, I asked you to do this thing because you cared about me and you didn't do it. So what's changed, (laughs) right? As though that scores a point in some way, as if that delegitimizes what the other person's asking. And the other thing lawyers like to do is offer extreme hypotheticals, right? This is something they teach us to do in law school to test a logical assertion. But when you do it in conversation, it can be pretty awkward and kind of beside the point, right? So if your partner is saying to you, well, I'm asking you to do this thing for me because you care about me, and your response is, well, if you ask me to murder someone, would I need to do that because I care about you? Right. If you come up with this extreme case, like the most far flung version of it to sort of undermine the whole statement, that seems to you like it's sort of proving that the other person is wrong, that you're somehow winning the conversation. So, you know, why is this a problem? I mean, on some level, it seems obvious, but I'm going to go through it because I think that we don't even notice as lawyers how often we're doing this. The problem is that these conversational approaches are really antithetical to many of the reasons that humans have conversation with each other, right? Humans have conversations for a lot of reasons, just because they want to connect to each other, right? It's a way that we communicate because they want to collaborate on something, right? They want to solve a problem together, or they want to verbalize their enjoyment of something together, or they want to communicate about what their experience is to try to reach greater understanding, People often also have conversations for the purpose of information sharing, right? Whether that's information about the case you're working on or information about your romantic partner's feelings. 
and trying to share information that they think would be useful for you to know. All of those get shut down when our approach is to sort of obfuscate, deny, deflect, or cross-examine, right? This brings up another problem that lawyers have in conversation is that, as I've said before, one thing that happens is that when we are confronted with a statement, the our immediate kind of inclination is to try to tear it down. So like often when I present to groups of lawyers, when I do workshops or I speak, I'll say, I know that you are going to be tempted to try to come up with all the logical reasons or flaws in what I'm about to say, right? You're going to look for anything that might be wrong. That's a kind of consistent thing that lawyer brains do, and that's what I talked about in the first part of this podcast. The second issue is that lawyers are so afraid to be wrong, right, for reasons I've talked about in previous podcasts, that immediately if anybody disagrees with us or even says something that we think might vaguely have some implication for us being wrong at some later date or in something else we did, we tend to react very defensively. We are trained in law school to basically never admit that the other side is right. That's death, right? If you give in, if you give up your position, if you concede, then you can't challenge it anymore. So that is a real problem for lawyers in conversations because it makes us like (laughs) basically like a mule digging its heels in. It's so automatic that we often don't even realize that we're doing it. But our immediate instinct whenever anyone says anything to us about what we might have done wrong or disagreeing with us or just even sort of airing a concern is to immediately deny, deny, deny. So all of this is brought on by this kind of adversarial thinking that we learn, which makes us feel like our options are to attack or defend, right? That's what I just described. The attack is when you cross-examine, right, where you're looking for logical inconsistencies or you're using extreme hypotheticals or you're trying to impeach the witness by reference to previous conversations. All of those are attempts to kind of undermine or discredit or delegitimize whatever the other person is saying to you. And then being on the defensive is your other option, right? And that's where you sort of deny, 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 or where you run kind of logic circles around someone, right? All you lawyers know what I'm talking about. We have a particular way of arguing that creates lots of little kind of spirals off of the main argument that can be very confusing for someone who isn't trained as a lawyer. If anyone's ever said to you, you're arguing like a lawyer, that's usually what they meant, right? That you've managed to take the conversation down some whole other road, spinning off of one little thing they said, and you know it's really not the point, and they know it's really not the point, but they can't get the conversation back on track. And I find with some of my clients, they can sort of see that they're doing it as they're doing it, and they don't even want to be doing it necessarily. But because they haven't learned how to manage their lawyer brain on purpose, they kind of can't help themselves. So as you can imagine, being on the aggressive or the defense, right, being on attack or on defense, neither of those really contributes to great communication. You know, I don't think it's an accident that lawyers often end up marrying other lawyers because it's such a combative way of interacting and communicating that a lot of non-lawyers just cannot take it or aren't interested in it. And that's fine. I'm all for lawyers marrying lawyers if they want. But number one, you do have to interact with non-lawyers sometimes. And number two, it doesn't really feel good even as a lawyer, right? I remember before I knew how to manage my mind about this kind of thing, you know, how to not do this. I would have fights with my boyfriend at the time, and I could tell that I was doing the lawyer maneuvers. (laughs) I could tell that I was like 
going after logical inconsistencies, or I was running around in a little logic circle off of a sort of implication of something he said. And I was doing all of this because in the moment I was sort of so conditioned to resist, right? And so scared to admit any fault, but it didn't feel good, right? Winning an argument that way, quote unquote, doesn't actually feel good at the end. You know, in court it might, but when you're arguing with someone you care about, like a friend or a family member or a partner, it's kind of a pyrrhic victory. You know, at the end of the day, if they give up because you've outlawed them in conversation, you don't really feel great afterwards. And that's because the point of the conversation is to build more connection and more understanding. Even when someone's upset with you, right? What they want is not for you to also be upset and for everybody to be upset forever. <laughs> what they want is to reach greater understanding, to have a joint kind of narrative about what happened and a joint understanding of things. And when you are in lawyer mode, you can't achieve that because collaboration would be like conceding defeat, right? Cooperation or agreeing would be like a concession that you don't kind of subconsciously feel you're able to make. The good news is there are ways to practice changing this. I promise I'm never going to do a podcast that just describes a terrible point about lawyer brain and then leaves you in the dark. So there are a couple of things you can do. One, as with everything I teach, is just practicing your awareness is really helpful. You know, it's really true. This is why meditation works. But the good thing is you can do this without meditating. Right? But bringing awareness, just noticing when you're in a conversation how resistant you feel how much your brain just goes to disagreeing with whatever's said or evaluating whatever's put out there as a hypothesis, just bringing that awareness will help soften your conversation a little bit. There are a couple of other kind of concrete tools you can use. So one is I like to call and versus but. If you look at the way you write, even to friends or family, you will notice that lawyers tend to start a lot of sentences with but. So we'll say something like, it may be true that blah, 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 but and then we'll give our position, or then we'll give the rebuttal. Just thinking about changing every time you want to say but, right, which is like, okay, a little bit of that, but really that's wrong, and here's my point. That's what but is. Changing that to using and, right? I know this sounds so kind of like something somebody would teach you in a Hallmark communication seminar, but I promise that it's useful. It's just a simple tool. It's a simple metaphor for a larger practice. Thinking about connecting what someone else said and what you want to say with and instead of but actually really transforms how you think about your communication and interacting with someone else. The amount that lawyers want to use but is really kind of astounding. And just thinking about changing some of those to and, thinking about conversation or communication as a collaborative effort where someone says something and you add to that as opposed to you rebut it. Right? We could also use add versus rebut. Either way, practicing the idea that someone has made an observation or expressed a feeling and you are going to add to the communication rather than resist what they've said. So and versus but. Another one is just to ask yourself, and this is what I sort of talked about a minute ago when I described what I do when I speak to groups. Ask yourself, what is useful in what's being said to me? right? So often as lawyers, if something is being presented to us, we immediately are looking for all the ways it might be wrong, right? That's what our lizard brain tells us. If you've heard me talk about lizard brain on the previous podcast, right? Lizard brain, lawyer lizard brain especially says there's danger everywhere and you have to be always looking for it. It's trouble spotting. So as lawyers, we're always looking for what might be wrong in what someone is saying. 
So practicing asking yourself, what is useful here, right? It's almost a version of what is right here instead of wrong. Like, what is this person saying that might be useful information, whether they're teaching me something or it's an idea that might strengthen my idea, or it's a communication of feeling about how they feel about something between us, or it's just sort of they want to talk about a nice place to get brunch, (laughs) whatever the level of conversation is. Lawyers are always looking to disagree. So consciously saying to yourself in the conversation, I'm going to look for what's useful here. A related one is you can also tell yourself that you're looking for what you can agree with, right? This is the sort of essence of lawyer brain and conversation is that we're always looking for places to disagree, right? We're always looking for places to say, but like I said earlier, changing that mental mindset to what can I agree with here will help your brain start looking for that. Your brain is a pattern making machine. It looks for whatever you tell it to look for. When you tell your brain that it needs to look for anything that might be wrong or out of place or rebuttable, that is what your brain will look for. If you tell your brain, look for all the things here that I agree with, that's what your brain will look for, right? You really have to do this consciously because I'm sure that most of you lawyers have had the experience of someone says something like, for instance, a political statement that you actually agree with or may even be the same thing you've said to other people. But because someone else said it to you, all of a sudden you're looking for ways you disagree with it, (laughs) right? That's how strong the looking for disagreement is. So instead, look for what you can agree with. And then finally, one thing I really like to use with my clients is ask yourself what the point of this conversation might be other than being right. So I often work with clients who, let's say, have to work with or in their personal lives interact with non-lawyers, and they get really frustrated because the conversation isn't as logical or efficient as it could be, right? Because the other people aren't using the same kind of modes of reasoning or premises that the lawyers are. And so one of the things I work with them on is thinking about what are other reasons people have conversations apart from efficiency, right? Or what are reasons that people have conversations apart from coming up with the most logical solution, right? There are other reasons people have conversations to build relationships, to maintain connection, to maintain communication. And sometimes the point of conversation is really just sort of lubricate social interaction, right? To make people feel included, to make people feel like you value their thoughts and their opinions, right? Regardless of what the content or the outcome of the conversation is. So thinking about what is the point of this conversation, right? And are there legitimate and useful and important reasons to have this conversation that aren't just winning or proving who's right or coming up with the most logical answer? So those are four ways you can practice not treating conversation like a cross-examination, right? And versus but, using and instead of but to add rather than rebut. Asking yourself what is useful here when someone presents an idea or some feedback or just offers a suggestion or has conversation. Asking yourself what can I agree with here as opposed to what do I disagree with, where can I poke holes? And asking yourself what might be the point of this conversation other than being right or coming to the right answer. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I really encourage you to download my free guide to dealing with lawyer anxiety. It's available at www.thelawyerstresssolution.com backslash guide. It's totally free and it 
takes you through one of the kind of main causes of lawyer brain anxiety and teaches you a really simple but effective technique for turning it around in the moment, right? Because you can't always listen to a half hour podcast, but you usually have three minutes to do an exercise. So again, that's www.thelawyerstresssolution.com backslash guide. And I definitely encourage you guys all to download it, give it a try and, you know, drop me a line if you have any questions. I'll be back next week. Our next episode is going to be about dealing with difficult clients or continuing in the interpersonal vein for a little bit. Have a wonderful week and keep an eye on your lawyer brain. If this episode was speaking your language, sounded like it was in your brain, I want you to come check out The Clutch because it will help you unfuck any relationship in your life. If you want to learn how to show up confidently in work relationships, family relationships, friendships, and romantic relationships, or in your parenting, The Clutch will be your lifeline. It comes tailor-made with a community of badass women doing this life-changing work alongside you, along with monthly coaching calls and daily expert coaching on any relationship you're working on, including your relationship with yourself. Check it out at unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash The Clutch, or you can just text your email to 347 934 8861. If you text your email address to that number, we will text you right back with a link to check out everything you need to know to join. I can't wait to see you there.